But we turn to 2 Corinthians, and we've been walking through this remarkable letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth that he isn't 100% on board with, but he has been. The past several weeks, we're kind of finishing up on this idea that Paul brings in this whole section, starting in chapter 10, about, about it not being about us. About the obedience of Christ for us, not our obedience of Jesus. And, and, he's, and he's gone, especially last week. He went after so hard that it almost becomes offensive that he's kind of saying, it's foolishness to even talk about anything that we do good. Because I don't know about you, if I had a child, a small child, and I was like, man, there's one person I want you to be like. Let's bust out his resume and show you. Paul would be right up there on the list. He's amazing. His commitment to Jesus, his missionary journeys, his church founding, his, his, and, his and he went through it, right? I mean, his beatings and his, his, his sufferings and his amazing things that he did. I want to be like that. I think it's okay that I want to be like that. And then Paul just takes and he says, as I share my resume with you, it's utter craziness that I even talk this way. And I realize, and I hope you do too, and, and we're in the midst of it, that Christianity is a little bit different than I might think. It's a little different than, than even what I, maybe when I was a younger person, when I thought simply about these things. And, but Paul's coming in and saying, no, wait a minute. It's actually all about Jesus. All of it. It's the opposite of so, so many people try and do, which is burnish the resume for God. He's saying that taking your value, your identity, your status based on your resume is crazy foolishness. And he was really strong, and we looked at it last week. All those things I personally consider to be stellar actions, strong indications. Man, pastors get happy when you're doing these things. He said, don't even think about putting your identity in those things pretty amazing. That's not where your hope is. I start to get that. My hope is in Jesus, not in me. I'm the publican begging for mercy there in Luke 18, right? Not the Pharisees saying, Lord, thanks for making me a great person. And let me list off a few of those great things. All glory to you, God. No, no, no. It remains that Jesus is for us. I even start to live that way. Maybe I start to get it, but there, Paul's not done. In fact, today he does something really amazing and a little different because, because there's areas. It's not just in morality that I'm tempted to put my value and my identity in. What if Paulo said, hey, hey, I, I, did I bring my phone? I guess I didn't. Where'd my, oh, there it is. Oh, what if I told you guys I get calls from God on this phone? Okay, most people in here would go like, yeah, there's a doctor down the road. You can go visit him because, yeah, yeah. But what if it became, became evident that it's a reality? God calls me on this phone. Most of them are like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What kind of phone is it? I want one. <laughs> the rest of you, what did he say? And there would be a tiny bit of, how come he's calling you and not me? What is this special thing that you get that I, man, how do I get that? And, and Christianity can become a little bit about, how do I get the inside knowledge, the inside track? How do we get God to actually tell me what to do? 
first century, it wasn't about phones. It wasn't Apple or Android. It's about visions. God talking directly to you. He doesn't need a phone, does he? God doesn't need a phone. Boom, you have a vision. He'll give you something that you can know. What if God speaks directly to you? I want to be around that person. God speaks. I want to get that. Big push. It's, it's, it's still out there. So it's a, sort of the full gospel businessman thing where, where, where it's like you need to have this special thing where you speak in tongues because that's a special revelation from God. God the Holy Spirit's God, right? I don't know about that. But I do know about this. What if God really did give Paul visions? Real ones. Not what if. He did. And all of a sudden, I want to know, what are they? So, so uh, hey, Paul's bringing it up in this passage. Because the reality is, I want to know what the visions are. I start thinking a certain way. And what Paul's fighting is not what you think needs to be fought. Like, hold fast to the truth of the vision. No, he's fighting to say, you have what you need. And his name's Jesus. And we're so prone to go off of that. We're so prone to start seeking other things. We're so prone, not just in evaluating my works, also in wanting to know special knowledge. And then today, a double whammy Paul has because he says, I'm foolish to boast about this too, very contrary to my flesh, but it's totally okay to boast about. And then he has something that he goes off into. So we're talking today, this is the second part of foolishness. We'll end, end with this piece, just a little bit more of Corinthians that we'll finish next week. But, but the reality to us is that he's talking about Visions and thorns today. And I want to make sure that you see that they're linked. Because usually people don't link them. But he, he, here it is, he, Paul does, in what happened to him. So for, first about the visions. The direct knowledge he's gotten from God. So he picks it up in chapter 12, verse 1. And if you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can. We'll put it on the screen too. And we're starting with... with uh, with visions. So verse 1. I must go on boasting. Paul says. Though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions. And revelations. Of the Lord. So, so you want to talk about direct revelation. You want to talk about visions. You want to talk about special knowledge. There's no goodness in this says Paul. Well. Uh. Seems like every time I talk to somebody about Revelation, we want to talk about a huge argument over something. No, 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 wait. It says, really, I, there's nothing to be gained by what I'm going to do here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, Paul. I guess I wonder why. This is why. Paul says, this is not going to help maybe, but I want to say, I've got a word from God. What is it? Here it is. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now I'm tempted to think and just read that straight through. Well, Paul knows some guy who lives down the block. That's not what he's saying, right? That's not this, this Greek way to say. He's saying, it's me. 
14 years ago, I don't want to, like, if you're the humble brag, well, I know somebody who did. He's using that method to say, I know somebody. It's me who, who had this amazing vision from God. I said, I, I don't know if I went or, or, or if I was given a, a vision, but nudge, nudge, a person in Christ, Paul, I'm going to tell you that I've actually had revelation that you know nothing about. Now, if it's anybody but Paul, I'd be going like, okay, prove it to me. Give me the deets, man, because I need to know. But this is Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, writing the Bible. And it's in the Bible. So we need to have the actual thinking. He had this. It happened. Right? He had revelation we know nothing about. Boy, you want special, Paul says? I got special knowledge. None of these other teachers had this vision I did, he says. This is, Jesus has shown me more than you. And he's right. Right? I mean, bear with me. I mean, this is Paul. Paul's awesome. So this is incredibly, he says, 14 years ago. So if you kind of go with the normal dating of 2 Corinthians, and it's probably, you know, he was met on the road to Damascus by Jesus, and Jesus talked to him. He had those scales on his eyes, remember? And then sometime after that, but probably about, about the time Barnabas met up with him, he had an actual revelation from God that's special. Well, that's kind of cool. I haven't heard about that. That's where's the, I know Revelation, that was written by John. What about the revelation of Paul? Book two of Revelations. I mean, come on, the third heaven. Dude, he went to the third heaven, everyone. And it's like, uh, okay. What's that? Well, it's not the first heaven. And it's definitely not the second heaven. <laughs> the rabbis thought there were seven heavens, so they taught seven. So it's like, well, is Paul saying he only got to the middle? I made it halfway to the high heavens, and that's, no, no, no. The, it, mostly what people think is going on is that the way that their mind worked was that there was the firmament, the atmosphere over the earth is the heavens, and then there's the stars far away. Those are the, those are the second heavens, and then there's the very presence of God. That's the third heaven. So when Paul says this this morning, that he went to the third heaven, he means I entered the presence of God. Wow. All of a sudden I want to ignore that Paul says this is foolishness. Tell me what it looked like. <laughs> what is it going to be like to be in the presence of God? I want to know, so let's keep reading. What is he going to say? He says, well, I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Okay, well, I, I suppose I can observe that he says again that he doesn't know if he was dreaming like in a vision or if he actually went in his body. And, and that's kind of a cool detail to think about because he says it twice. So, so this idea is that he was embodied, that, that, that it's not some sort of like ethereal thing out there. It's like we're going to be in a body in, in heaven. It's the same sort of word being caught up as First Thess 4, 17 uses, caught up in the rapture. Or Philip, when he was caught up, remember the Holy Spirit just caught him up and, and took him away after he talked to the Ethiopian eunuch? That same sort of thought. It's kind of called third heaven. And then he uses the word paradise, a, sort of this Persian root word of a walled garden, kind of like used of Eden. So like this new Eden. 
Remember Luke 23 where Jesus turns to the other thief on the cross that, that kind of put his trust in him and says, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's this word. But, but that's all we get. That's it. I can't tell you more, says Paul. I know that this guy that I know <laughs> had a super special revelation and, and, and eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and I can't say. Pretty different than what happens today, huh? <laughs> I can't tell the number of books I've seen about someone dies for 30 seconds and they went to heaven, they come back and they tell you <laughs> in detail. <laughs> All the things that happened, maybe it did, I don't know. But I know this, I know this one happened. Paul says it did. He's not talking about having bad pizza. He's not talking about a super long shower and him getting dizzy. He's talking about God actually giving him divine revelation about what it's going to be like for us to be in the presence of God. And then his response is, and I can't tell you. Why not? Okay, first, can we overcome that? Because I really want to know, Paul, come on. Get, come on, get, get it in the Bible here. This is going to help me. It's not going to hurt me. Don't you think it's going to help you? If you knew what it's going to be like in heaven, if you knew how amazing it is, if you knew what incredible wonder it's going to be for you to be in heaven with God and to be in his presence and, and, and Eden restored, and, and I don't have any real concept of what it's like, and so I pour over the book of Revelation looking for stuff. I pour in the Bible looking for what it's going to be like. I want that assurance. And Paul says, I saw it. Oh, and I can't tell you. What? You get up here right now and you tell me every word. Why not, Paul? That's the thing that starts to incredible. I hope to you. Why not? Because he says that's pushing you the wrong way. What does he mean? Well, let's read on. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Okay, but wait there, we're going to go on, but... So my identity, Paul says, the things that it's important for me to pass on to you is, is not that I'm the, the, the special knowledge giver about heaven. Right? I'm not to be about how this part of heaven works or what it will be like in eternity, like all the details everyone wants to focus on. No. And by the way, though, if I did, I wouldn't be crazy because it's real. I know. I wouldn't be a fool if I spoke the truth because it would be the truth. But if I'm going to boast of something, I'm going to make something known, it's going to be about something totally different than how amazing information that I have that you don't have. It's going to be about my weaknesses. Not only am I mad that he's not giving me the information about heaven that I would like to have, now I'm like mad because I don't even get what he's talking about. Why? This is Christianity? 
Come on, guys, let's boast about how weak we are. And I'm not talking about the victim-y stuff that goes on in our society now. Who can be the biggest victim? Paul's talking about something different, right? he's, He's saying, wow, you know, actually, I was given a something because of this thorn in the flesh. And if I'm going to talk about something, he says, I'm not going to talk about the ultra cool thing that I got to know about Jesus and heaven and, and a third heaven that you guys don't even know what the third heaven is. And, 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 and I'm going to instead talk about the thorn in my flesh. I'm ready to leave now and watch the football game. Because, because I want to hear about heaven and instead he's going to talk about a thorn and I don't even know what the thorn is. But he says, that's what I want to boast about is my weakness. This, and he's connected, right? The exceptional character of my revelation. The amazing wonder of the truth that I know. So God gave me this thing because of that. He gave me something to keep me grounded. Becoming conceited. So we got to talk about thorns for a minute. Then. Because that's what this passage is. Everybody in their sister, usually, if you're around Christianity much, you know that Paul had a thorn. And here, though, we don't usually think it's actually connected to the special revelation that he had because he got to see heaven in a way that wasn't necessarily faith. I just want to lay that out there for you. If you get to go see something, if I say, hey, Let's go, um, you and I go look together and we're going to go down to the aquarium and we're going to see a porpoise that you've never seen before. Now you've seen the porpoise. I don't trust that the porpoise is there anymore. I've seen it. You can be a messenger to other people to believe that the porpoise is there, but you can't be someone who, 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 who has faith in that porpoise because faith goes away with sight. Paul says, you know, I've seen some stuff. I want you to have, I want you to trust. And what I do is try and give you details and try and make it all detail. That's not, that's not trust. That, that's something different. So, but, I, but I was given, when I was given that, I was given something to help me trust. What was it? It was a thorn. A thorn, right? Let's go to that verse again and look at it. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of my revelations. Oh, I don't talk about that, but he doesn't. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. What? Well, first, we're not leaving that too quickly, right? To keep me from being too elated is the word there. What would too elated be? Blown away by how great the future is, floating in the air all the time because our future is so great, the greatness of the revolution. Have you heard the phrase, the future is so bright, I got to wear shades? This is like, forget the shades. It's blowing right through them. It's so awesome. Amazing and cool. And when you hear the deets and know what it's like, and Paul won't. In the same breath, he says he can't. And even for him, what's going on is to focus on the thorn in his flesh, which is an angel of Satan, literally. That word messenger is angel, right? Tormenting him. And instead of going back to the heaven part, now we've got to focus on, wait a minute, there's... You know the word thorn there means sharpened stick? Paul's going, I was given a sharpened stick to thrust into my side. Ouch! 
What is that, by the way? Here's the short answer. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. There's lots of speculation, right? Let me give you a few, just so you see the possibilities. It, it might be one of these, that in Galatians, he writes in Galatians, and he writes to that church there. It's a pretty early letter. He says, though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ. There's this little thought there in Galatians that, that um, the word despise is actually spit on. So there's been people through the, through the church history says he had the spitting disease. We call it ep- epilepsy. So if you ever hear, hey, Paul had epilepsy as a thorn in his flesh, it's because people say, oh, you, you took care of me in my condition and didn't spit on me as I was spitting. Oh, he had epilepsy. Paul had epilepsy. Dude, that's pretty weak sauce. Or, or maybe this is a little stronger. And um, he says in Galatians there, he said, for what has become of your blessedness? This is the same thing, 415 is the next verse. For saying, I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have it then become your enemy by telling you the truth. And then later on, in the, in the end of there, he says, see what large letters I'm writing to you in my own hand. Oh, thorn in the flesh. His eyes didn't work very well. But totally, right? So he, he had a difficulty seeing. He, you know, the whole Bach, Bach thing. You know, Bach was deaf, right? Wasn't blind. Uh, whatever, Paul, he, he, he couldn't see. And so therefore, the whole idea is maybe that's a thorn in his flesh. He was afflicted with very poor eyesight or close to blindness. The reformers thought that, that Paul had spiritual temptations, like this, this idea of torment and, 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 and messengers from Satan. It says he's, he's struggling with some sort of moral temptation that he was getting after. Maybe. John Chrysostom, major amazing early church pastor, golden-tongued, he had such amazing sermons. He, he made the case that, that these were people. Because of her numbers, if you go back to Numbers 33, it says, Numbers says, if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those who remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. Aha! Old Testament reference. Maybe they're people who are like, like uh, following Paul around and like tormenting him. Maybe. <clears throat> it's possible. So Sir William Ramsey is a famous early Bible commentator in English. He, he thought it was malaria. Kind of makes sense. I mean, malaria is a unlimited. Maybe he had malaria. That's a recurring fever. So every so often you just get like periodically suffer. Fits with the kind of concept, but there's no biblical evidence. Or, or the uh, commentator I have read a lot in 2 Corinthians made the case for it being migraine headaches. Why? I don't know. No, I do know. He, he, said, he said Paul got beaten so much because he talked about getting beaten one stroke from death, like he's almost dying. If you hit somebody in the head enough and they get concussion or something like that, eventually they got head. Have you ever had a migraine headache? I, I haven't, but I have a wife that does sometimes. And, and I'll tell you, they're the worst things I've ever seen. Terrible. Horrible suffering, like a thorn in the flesh. And said, sir, maybe, I mean... All of it to just pull into, right? That he wants to say, okay, God afflicted me. Well, he says really a messenger of Satan afflicted me, but isn't God in charge of everything? He goes into his struggles with this sharpened stick, piercing stake, like a sharpened torture, the messenger of Satan striking him. He says three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should, it should leave me. Take it away, Lord, Please. 
right? That, that's what he wants. But he, he said to me, God said back to Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. And, and if you don't get the overtones here, you say, hey, like, just kind of blaze through this thing. You miss that three times. Paul's praying, let this leave me. What does that sound like? Does it sound like anything to you? Sounds like Mark to me, where Jesus Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays three times, Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? Yet not my will, but your will be done. And then Jesus goes to the cross. Doesn't it sound like that? And Paul, like Jesus, hears, no, Father, please take this away, this striking from the angel of Satan, this thorn in my flesh, this painful reminder of how fallen I am physically, how strained I am emotionally, how, how unstable presently, and, and, and yet I know what's coming. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not abandoning. No, but I'm getting afflicted. And you focus in right here, and so... I'm walking you through this passage, but whenever God actually speaks, you got to like get into that. Do you see what God said? In your Bibles, it might even be in red letters. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Whoa. My grace is sufficient for you. Why did he say that? What he's saying is that God's riches in Christ for you are enough. You don't need to be strong and able and being formed into something right here so amazing that you fight the principalities that Jesus Christ has already defeated. The principalities are above us and they remain that way. The wisdom of God, the church and all it is, is not being formed into a super weapon to fight. Instead, we're dependent on the grace of God his name is Jesus. Right, that, that's what Paul is totally about. Our hope is in Jesus. And, and, and so I, I've come to really appreciate in this idea that we're in about, and Paul is thinking of the principalities, the revelations that he has about heaven, which are these areas and realms that we're not in. And, and then he's connecting it to his current afflictions that Satan is actually uh, able to do to him by God. God saying, my grace is sufficient. I mean, we're operating in realms we don't understand. So I've gotten to really like the word alien. Not just because I'm a science fiction fan. Aliens are amazing and cool. This is a different kind of alien. It's so important for you and me that we have an alien righteousness. We have something that's not in us. Alien means outside of us, right? I've got my personal righteousness. I've got my personal strength. I've got my personal knowledge. I've got my personal things. We have our personal, all these things that we have that are ours. You know, I did that. When I went and I, I, and I, and I, and I rode crew and, and we trained so hard and we won. By the glory of God, I did that. I'm giving God the glory. Don't worry. But I did it. Right? But, 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 but the message of Christianity is deeper and underneath that. And it says, it's not about what you did. It's about your alien righteousness given to you. Outside of you. Jesus did it. And he gives it to you. 
It's such a huge concept. And this is the essence of where Paul is pushing us. He, he's saying, hey, my knowledge is, hey, I saw that. That's foolishness for you to say because my hope is not in anything about I. It's about Jesus and his obedience for me. That was chapter 10. It's about Jesus and all he's done for me, not what I've done. That was chapter 11. And here we are in chapter 12. It's not about what I see. It's about what reality is, and you know it. The grace of God for you. You've got to stay there. In fact, it's not only about this, about grace being sufficient for you. It is enough. There's no enoughness anywhere else. But it's because, that's that forward in there, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. Because, for, my power is made perfect in weakness. The word my isn't actually in the text, so it, it could be a bit more general than, than the ESV is making it. Power. The power of God is completed, finished, made perfect in weakness, your weakness. Even apparent weakness, right? Is there anything more weak? Think with me. Is there anything more weak than God of heaven, mighty and powerful, who creates with his thought and word, who speaks things into existence, becoming a human being? A baby, actually. Is there anything more weak than him absorbing the injustices and beatings and, and, and mis-everything treatment that he had and then being crucified on a cross and dying? He didn't win. And then he, he actually died. If you have any concept of what winning is, what Jesus did was a winning You know, they get, who should be released? Jesus won or Jesus? Oh, release Jesus Barabbas. Don't release Jesus Christ. Beat him. There's no justice. There's no power. There's no strength. There's no might in this God like that. Wait. Oh, whoa, 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 Dax. That, that would all be true, except this is God speaking. Right? And he says, my power is finished in weakness. My power is completed in weakness. When you're weak, you're strong. Things are not what they appear. And, and, and I'm, Paul says, not even really allowed to tell you what the reality is. Because the vision I got directly from God is the reality. What God says is true. So instead we're talking about thorns. We're talking about weaknesses. I'm not even telling you my thorn because I want you to be reminded of all of your weaknesses. Go ahead. Don't do it right now. We don't have enough time because we have too many. You go and you sit through your weaknesses, the things that afflict you, the things that are hard for you, the things in your, your body physically, the things in your, in your life emotionally, the things in your relationships interactionally <laughs> that, that are all broken, that are all weak. Paul says, boast in those, right? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm, I'm content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. This is it, right? I'm weak, and then I'm strong, and I'm content with whatever he does with me. And what I have to boast in is my weakness, because God told me that his power was brought to completion in my weakness. 
I don't like that. It's just the truth. I want power to be completed in me. I want God to take his alien righteousness and give a little to me so that there's the alien righteousness of God that has made me, the personal righteousness of Dax, a little bit stronger. I want the Christians to crush the unbelievers. They tried that once. It was called the Crusades. It didn't go very well. Or the Hundred Years' War in England. Or the, the weary ways that we start to take the left-handed power and say this is what it's about. And God says, I've got a plan already. And it's not just working. It worked. My son for you. I'm weak, right? This is what imaging Christ is because he was weak and he died. And it was, it was by the way, he was weak and he died. And it wasn't the end of his story. That is not the end. You know this, right? It, it was the very means by which we live was his weakness and his dying and his losing. The, the, that was the means that God would do that for us. And, and we read it this morning. This is what Jesus said after, after he did all that. He, he, said, he said this, And when I am lifted up from the earth, that's the end of that passage in John, right? Chapter 12. When I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That's the winning. I did it, says Jesus. It's finished, is his cry. And Paul has framed this whole section in his crazy foolishness to even think about his own strength. It's never about us. Not one breath, always about Jesus. So he, he kind of closes the whole thing here. I've been a fool. You forced me to it, he says to the Corinthians. I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. It's an irony, right, as we close to say, hey, you pushed me to be a fool because none of these things matter, not one, but you matter. I I'm nobody. And then the message is, is that you are loved by the king. You haven't gotten less love than others. You know, the fact that you didn't have a special revelation doesn't mean God doesn't love you. The fact that you are, are, aren't conquering all your sin doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. The, the, the fact that you are stricken physically and you die like every other person who's ever lived doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He adores you. His strength comes in weakness, in your failings, because the promise is there for you. His grace is there for you. The truth and reality of what Jesus actually is is there for you, that in your weakness he's strong, that his alien righteousness is for you. Has God really done for me what he's done for others? Does he love others more and me less? If he really loved me, wouldn't he make me better? Wouldn't he use me more? Wouldn't he give me more opportunities? And, and then we transition to, well, maybe he, he has given me opportunities and I miss them. Maybe he wants to, but I'm not responding. Maybe God's waiting for me to improve him and be better and pray more and fast more and I haven't found the right actions. And, and if that's what you're thinking this morning, see the truth. Paul's like, boast of your weaknesses. 
This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. How did he do it? That God, in unassailable strength, became weak for us. He suffered. He died. That's a way we're all going to be like Jesus unless Jesus returns first. We're all going to join him in death before we're raised. So don't you dare think that if you could only have a vision, if God would prove he loves you, if you could only be a pastor, a missionary, or doer of great deeds for God, that that's what he values. That he values this, the weaknesses that he uses. Nobody's. I'm a nobody. His grace is sufficient for me like it is for you. That's what we have. We don't have the strength of the powers and principalities. We don't stand on our own two feet ever against them. We are wrapped in his righteousness, clothed in his purity, standing in his obedience, strong in his might. His might. And this is as our flesh dies and we bear the consequences rightly of our poor choices and the sin that we've always had because even one little bit of imperfection ruins the whole cup of coffee and and so i'm going down and you're going down with me and as we do we have this hope in our weakness of a god who has done it all he is hope for the hopeless life for the dying freedom for the captive riches for the poor so realize when you realize with me as paul does too that he's the fool for doing these things Jesus is wisdom for the fool and the result of these days of anxiety and worry and dying and suffering and things not going rightly. It just highlights, oh, the absolute necessity and truth of the glory and wonder of God for us. He is that good. And what comes next you cannot imagine and Paul won't tell you. Because you would become caught up in trying to figure out all the things that are coming and forgetting about the thing that you have. Jesus Christ for you in your weakness. So can I say today, would you put your hope in this Jesus? Come, fool, and lay down your burden. Find your peace in the one who will raise you from the dead, our actual hope, Jesus Christ. And if you know him, be refreshed that he's for you. No matter what's going on, And if you don't know him, come talk about him, would you? He is our hope, the only one we have in this amazingly broken and fallen world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the beauty and wonder of it, and even in ways we cannot see and do not know. But this we know, your grace is sufficient for us. We're so amazed that you choose to use and love and be with and be united to people like us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for keeping us humble. We hate that. I'm not humble. But Lord, we look forward to an eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.